Likutei Sicha is Chelik Yudzayin, Volume 17, Third Sicha for Parshas Vayikra. This Sicha is half, that's the first half, is a Rashi Sicha, your conventional Rashi Sicha, and the second half goes in more to kind of a Hasidic understanding, appreciation, or as the Rebbe calls it, the Yeno Shal the wine of the Torah, of this entire matter. We're going to learn the first half, albeit... Uh, briefly, but we'll try to get into the discussion to cover it as best as possible. And then um, we'll spend some time on the Hasidic, the esoteric aspect of it. Just a few rules that we're going to re-encounter here after so many Rashi Sikhs that we learned. First of all, that everything in Rashi is precise. There's no extra words, there's no extra explanations. And even when Rashi brings proof from elsewhere, from other verses, each one is accounted for. Moreover, even the order in which he brings the verses to prove, to back up his point, that too has a lot of significance. Another thing is that if Rashi seems to add, so to speak, to the actual interpretation of a word or of a topic and goes into some detail, sometimes perhaps explaining the process or the or gives a narrative, that is not just superfluous. That is because that is very prudent to the point that Rashi is trying to bring out. Just as an introduction, I want to familiarize ourselves with two verses that are going to be crucial for this Rashi. One verse is from Proverbs, chapter 30, verse 33. Over there he says, For the pressure that one, that one brings, puts on milk, pressure on milk brings out butter or cheese. Okay, chemo is a general word for in Hebrew for brother slash cheese. The second part of the verse says, umitzaf pressure on the nose extracts blood. And the third part of the verse says, umitzapayim yoitzidiv, the pressure on one's anger, on one's patience, that produces strife. So that's one verse in Mishle. So we're familiar with that verse. Another verse is from Isaiah, from Yeshayo, chapter 16, verse 4. And it says over there, Yeshayo is describing, sadly, what the terrible things, the calamities that will fall upon the Jews. And one of the things he says, Kiofis hamates, which means, Rashi explains to mean that the mates, your mates, your riches, that come as a result of squeezing, pressuring, the uh, sheep and the goats, thus extracting the milk for them, that means the tremendous uh, value that you had, the riches that you accumulated as a result of the abundance of milk, which comes through pressuring the others, that will subside. That will no longer be. That will end. That's what the verse says over there. That's just a quote from the... It's not important to read the entire verse. So let's go into the actual uh, verse and the actual Rashi in our Parsha. So in our Parsha, chapter 1, verse 15. After the Torah describes uh, an entire list of all the various offerings, the carbon Ola, Ola means it goes up entirely to Hashem, the, verse, this, the verses talk about the carbon Ola, which comes from the fowl, from the bird. And it says as follows. In verse 15, it tells us the process. That the Kohen shall bring it to the altar. He should make it come close to the altar. 
and he'll pinch off the head. This is interesting that the bird offering was not slaughtered in the same way that the sheep or the goats or the cows were offered as an offering to Hashem, where they had to go through a proper uh, conventional ritual slaughter with a knife. Rather, it was done by pinching off the head in a certain uh, procedure that only the Kohanim knew. But that's not important. Then it continues and it says, and he should burn it on the altar. And here is the key of the Rashi. And its blood shall be drained. And his blood shall be drained out against on the wall of the altar. So Rashi says, in the heading, Vinimtsa Domo, Rashi says what this means is, this is Lashon, this is an expression, or this is similar to the expression in Mishle, in Proverbs, of Mitz Apayim, which is the pressure on the wrath, on the anger, if you recall that verse we brought from Mishle, from Proverbs. And then he continues with another proof. He says it's also like the word Ofes, Ofas Hametz, from this is from the verse in Isaiah, where it says that the extortion is at the end, the extortion that you'd get out from, we know what that means, from the sheep and from the from the uh, goats, that is going to end. And then Rashi continues. He pressures the opening, the place from where he took its life, meaning the where the slaughtering spot. He pressures that on the on the wall of the altar, Vahadom Mismatse, and the the blood drains itself, Vyoid, and he goes down. So it's obvious and it's clear that Rashi's objective here in this Rashi is to explain the word Vinimsa, which is a very uncommon word, and up till now in the Torah we never encountered it. So obviously Rashi's job is to explain to us what it means. However, the questions are number one, what is the explanation, what is the connection to the second half of the Rashi? In other words, how does that connect to this? If his objective is to translate the word Venimza, he did a good job at bringing the first two words, the first two verses that he brings, one from Proverbs and one from Isaiah, and that should suffice. What then is he adding by the narrative that he gives afterwards? And uh, uh, moreover, even if there is a reason for him to explain it, if he feels necessary to explain to us the process, it should have gone under a separate heading. Typically, when Rashi does so, he puts it under the same words, perhaps, but a second heading, a second Rashi, because it's a separate subject. Here he explained and translated the word, and here he's telling us detail or giving us an explanation and process and procedure of how it works. Another question, why do we need to have two proofs? Why two verses? Why isn't one sufficient? And, and why specifically these two verses? There are other places in Tanakh, there are other places throughout Tanakh, which have a similar expression of enimtso or mitz, and they mean exactly the same thing. And another question, question number four already at, a very curious question. Rashi brings the proofs that he brings, but he seems to bring it in a reverse order. We know that the order in the Tanakh is Torah, Nevi'im, Uksuvim. Torah is the five books of Moshe, the Nevi'im are the prophets, and then the Ksuvim are the scriptures. Mishle Proverbs is in the third part, is in the Ksuvim, in the order of Tanakh. 
Isaiah, Yeshayahu, is in the second part, which is in the Nevi'im. So why then does Rashi bring first a proof from a latter part of the Tanakh, and only then does he bring from a prior part of the Tanakh? Another question, and this is a very obvious question, especially considering that we had the introduction, I presented the full verse in Proverbs. In the verse in Proverbs, it says three times the words meets. It says it meets as in relation to, to the milk, meets in relation to the blood streaming from the nose, and then it says meets in relation to suppressing the anger, pinching, pressuring the anger. So why does Rashi resort to the last meets in the verse when he has two prior to it? Why did he bring it particularly to here, from here? So the explanation of all this is as follows. You see, Rashi is not only out to translate the word venimsa. For that it would have sufficed to say only what it means and that's it. How Rashi rather is also, his objective is to answer a question which seems to pop up here. It seems to be something that really is bothersome here. You see, if you look at the word venimsa, it seems, and actually the way it is, it is a passive verb, as if it's happening, so to speak, on its own, as if the thing is happening in a passive manner. And if so, the question is, how does this fit in in general with the whole idea, with the whole concept and process of how the korbanot, how the offerings were offered. Because in all of them, there are some imperative steps that must be taken in order for it to be a korban, in order for it to be considered as a whole offering. First of all, there's shechita, there's the slaughtering. Okay, the parallel to that here is what? The pinching off of the neck. Then there is the sprinkling of the blood on the altar. And then there is the burning it on the altar. Now, in the bird offering, so like I said, pinching off the neck is is, paramount, is, is, is is basically parallel to the slaughtering. Burning it on the altar, which explicitly is, said, is mentioned in this verse, is also parallel to what happens to every offering. But the question is, the blood, where do we see an action that seems to be parallel to the sprinkling of the blood? Normally, the Kohen has to take the blood with his fingers and he has to throw it, he has to sprinkle it towards the altar. In this case, it doesn't seem to be a parallel, because it's in a passive form, it's dripping on its own. It seems that once he pinches it off, the blood's flowing, and it seems to just flow down on the wall of the altar. That's not the same as sprinkling. Therefore, Rashi goes into the whole procedural narrative. He explains that what does venimtsa mean? Minsa doesn't mean that it's a passive thing, but rather that you're constantly squeezing it, so you're squeezing out the blood. And this is exactly similar and, and parallel to what sprinkling of the blood is. Because sprinkling of the blood is where the Kohen actively sprinkles the blood, actively throws the blood onto the altar. Here you're actively pressuring the opening of the neck in order for the blood to flow on the, on the wall of the altar, which is ostensibly the same thing. And now we can better appreciate why Rashi brings his proof, why he's, he focuses in at the end of that verse in Proverbs. You remember I asked, there were three mentions of the same word meets, which all mean pressure. 
How come Rashi resorted to the third one and not to the first? Because the answer is, based on what we just understood, based on about what, what, you, what we just explained, it makes most sense to bring a proof from the third one, and you cannot bring it from the first two. Because the first two is, which is, which is the first one? The one about the pressure which brings milk. I'm sorry, the pressure in milk which, which produces the cheeses, the butter. Well, sometimes butter forms on its own. Sometimes cheeses form on their own, even without pressure. As far as the pressure that makes a nosebleed, well, not always does one have a nosebleed. Some people actually suffer from the fact that even if nothing happens, they didn't touch their nose, they didn't get a knock in the nose, and yet it bleeds. Whereas the pressure that brings about strife, I mean the anger, that the, the, the things that leads to strife, could only come about from the pressure, the active and direct pressure on one's anger, on one's patience. And therefore Rashi prefers the third mitz in the verse. However, Rashi does not suffice with this one verse, and he adds another verse. Why? Because at the end of the day, this pressuring of the anger, this pressuring of one's patience, is still not a physical action. In other words, it's not absolutely parallel and exactly like the scenario we're talking about here, where one is pressuring physically the neck of the bird in order to extract the blood, in order to cause the blood to drip down on the wall of the altar. And therefore he brings a proof from mitz, which is associated with, with milk, with the production of milk. I'm sorry, with the extraction of milk, not production of milk, the extraction of milk, because over there you need to constantly pitch the otter in order to be able in order to be able to extract that milk. However, if that's the case, why don't you just bring this second verse, the verse from Isaiah, and that's fine, and then and then and then and then it'd be perfect. The answer is because from there there's also not an absolute proof that this is what mitz means. Because there, in the context of what he's talking about, without Rashi, perhaps one would suggest that the mates is not actually a description of the action that's taking place, but rather it's a title of the outcome, the riches that come about as a result of it. And now we can better understand why Rashi explains exactly how it happens and what happens, what the Kohen did, what the process was in order to give us a better appreciation for the proof that he brings and to understand how it is a parallel to the sprinkling of the blood. As I said before, sprinkling of the blood is a direct result, a direct outcome of the action of the Kohen, of the active action of the Kohen, not a passive one. Here too, the way Rashi translates it and the way Rashi now explains it, now we have a picture and we see how the offering of the bird is exactly parallel to the offering of any other carbon. It has all the major steps that any other carbon has. Now we're going to go to the second half of the Sikha, the Yeno Shotoira, the wine of the Torah. The wine brings out the secrets. Get it more from a esoteric perspective. So we know that Ramban, Nachmanides, he explains in general, that the whole concept of the offerings, the sacrifices, is really all about a person doing a reflection, the following reflection. And that is, when the person sees what happens to the animal every step of the way, the person really has to think that really that should have happened to himself. That should have happened to him. However, 
with God's abundant kindness and mercy, the Creator, Hashem, gave us the ability to substitute the blood of the animal for our blood, the life of the animal for our blood, the, the, the fats of the animal for our fats, and so on. So this tells us that the whole concept of a korban, the whole concept of an offering, really parallels what really the person should be doing, the, the person's approach to getting closer to Hashem. So let's look at the main components of every, every uh, offering and get a better appreciation of this. In every offering, the most important, the most imperative components is the blood has to end up on the altar and the chel of the fats. That means even such offerings that they are consumed by the individuals or the Kohen that eat them, but the main thing that has to go on the Mizbeach, the main thing that has to be offered to Hashem is the blood and the fats. What does the blood represent? The blood represents, in Yiddish it's called the koch. Literally koch means the, the cooking, the boiling, it means the excitement, the excitement we have in things. And the fats, what do fats represent? So we know fats is really a result of pleasure. Fats is synonymous with pleasure. And thus, this is what you have to give to Hashem. Your pleasure, your excitement, and worldly things have to go to Hashem. And this explains why in the conclusion of all the offerings, we conclude with all the main offerings of Ola, which means to totally go up to Hashem. How do we wrap it all up? In other words, how do we make the main point? The main point is at the end. How do we conclude the whole subject, the whole topic? with the ultimate offering, which is the oaf, which is the, the bird. The Torah, and the Torah tells us, how do you do it? What do you do? You have to do venimtza. There's a, there's a process here that you need to do. You need to do meats. You need to do pinching. You need to pressure. You need to subdue. This is the idea of iskafia, the idea of subduing your own desires, subduing your own instinctive wants that through this someone suppressing their own desires, their own temptations, the blood, quote, the blood drains and goes down. Meaning the excitement that one has and all the pleasures of the worldly pleasures, that sat starts to subside, that starts to go, starts to go down. And now we can better appreciate, according to this esoteric perspective, the order why Rashi brings the verses he brings. He brings the verse from Proverbs which says, that the pressuring of the patience, of the anger, this generates strife. Because in this verse, really is expressed the entire concept of sins, that which causes us to be distant from Hashem, and in fact from all aspects, not only from the negative aspect, but also from a positive one. Let's begin first by appreciating that the symbol, the ultimate symbol of sin, I mean the ultimate sin is Avodah worshipping idols. And the ultimate sin, we know the Talmud says, Kol Anybody who gets angry, it's as if he's worshipping idols. What does that mean? Well, the Alter Rebbe explains in Tanya that when one gets angry, it means one gets annoyed, upset about something that's happening to them. That is an indicator that the person doesn't believe or doesn't remember to think 
that 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 is happening to them at that moment is happening from Hashem, not from the person that's doing it to them or the object or the thing that's, that's causing this pain or whatever it may be. But rather that it's coming from Hashem. So when they get angry, that is an indicator that they're in a certain sense worshipping Avodah Zorah. What does it mean Avodah Zorah idols? That you are paying respect, that you're giving some level of credence to something outside of Hashem. Well, that is parallel to what's happening when a person gets angry and is as if attributing what's happening to him to that particular person or that particular item or that particular circumstance. This is, of course, in a general sense. In a more refined manner, in a particular manner, every sin, in a sense, is avodah Every time you separate yourself from Hashem, meaning you indulge in your own desires, in your own temptations, that, in, a, in essence, is a separating from Hashem. That is, in essence, paying tribute, paying and giving importance to something outside of Hashem. And this is how this verse applies. Which is saying is that a person who is mitzapayim, when he pressures the patience, and he is pressuring himself not to do the right thing, but he's actually pushing, creating the anger, that is as if, so to speak, creating a strife with Hashem, a separation with Hashem. However, in the positive, when a person is mitzapayim, when a person sacrifices himself, and he starts to suppress this anger, instead of it being generating anger between him and Hashem, he generates anger against the Yitzhahara, against the evil inclination. And this is where his Yitzhahariv, he really puts out all, all out strife on the Yitzhahara, and he gets closer to Hashem. And now we can understand also, why Rashi introduces, in this esoteric thinking, why Rashi introduces the second verse. What is the second verse talking about? It's talking about suppression and bringing out milk. What does milk have anything to do with this? So you see, the real question is as follows. Think about it for a moment. Even when a person sins, we know ultimately that it comes from Hashem. The whole, thing, the whole idea that a person can stumble and fall into temptation, even that was orchestrated by Hashem. Why would Hashem do it? What does Hashem gain out of it? What exactly does Hashem want? Why does He even make us encounter and come close with sin? Why? For what purpose? For what end? If at the end of the day, He doesn't want us to sin. The answer is because it's for the ultimate benefit that will come from it. As the Al-Tarebbe brings in Tanya, the verse, Vegam, from the verse from Proverbs, that he says that everything that Hashem created, He created for, for His own purpose, for the purpose of what He, you know, to manifest His purpose, His objectives, His goals. And He says there, rasha that even the Rasha, even the wicked one, or wickedness, Hashem created in order to take the bad and the dark and turn it into light, to turn it into day. The night, the bad, the evil, and turn it into positive, turn it into day. So likewise over here, if you think about it, what is the idea of milk? Milk in itself, when it's in the body of the animal, it's actually considered to be a part of a living thing, an avram and a chai, and it's forbidden. It's forbidden. Just like you're forbidden to eat off a living animal, you should be forbidden to eat the milk. And that's why there was even a process, a thought process of thinking, until Hashem gave the Torah, that milk should be forbidden because it's being extracted from a living animal. Comes the Torah and it says, no, the uh, milk is kosher 100%. It's just not kosher when you mix it with meat, but it's kosher. This is the same idea. The thing in itself, before the 
quote, pressure you put on it, before the squeezing, before the pinching of the bat, before the pinching and, and, and suppression of the bat, it in itself may be a very bad thing. But once it comes out, it becomes something so desirable, something so special that even to the extent that one of the, the special mentions of the greatness of Eretz Yisrael, of the land of Israel, is Eretz Zavas Chalavudvash, a land that flows with milk. Milk actually means milk from the goats and from the sheep, milk and honey. So you see that this is the concept of taking from the absolute bad and turning it into something good. And this sums up the whole idea of, again, venimza, of taking the, 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 the negative and venimza by, by, by squeezing it, by meats, by squeezing it, by suppressing it, by doing these kafir, turning it into the utmost good.